When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. I'm Brian Norcross. This is Fox Weather's Tracking the Tropics podcast number nine of the 2022 hurricane season. Today's episode is very special to me. It's a conversation with news anchor Kelly Craig and sports and news anchor Tony Segreto. 30 years ago, Kelly, Tony, and I spent the night together broadcasting on TV and radio as Hurricane Andrew made landfall in the southern part of Metro Miami. We talk about what TV, Miami, and life were like in the early 90s and how our TV station, WTVJ, was able to stay on the air and connected to people who were scared to death and whose homes were coming apart and what that night felt and sounded like. We refresh each other's memories of that seminal time 30 years ago. Even if you know the Hurricane Andrews story, I think you'll enjoy hearing from Tony Segreto and Kelly Craig. Our conversation is coming up in just a moment. I'm recording this on Tuesday, September 6, 2022. There are two systems active in the tropics today. Danielle and Earl are heading into the cold North Atlantic to die, though Bermuda is going to have to watch Earl when it comes by later in the week. Robust disturbances are coming off Africa as we expect this time of year, but so far they've all been tracking north. But next week, the pattern might shift a bit, pushing systems farther to the west. There's still a lot of hurricane season to go. The peak on September 10th is the date on the calendar that we're most likely to have a named storm in the Atlantic, the Caribbean, or the Gulf of Mexico, looking at the long-term averages. But in terms of the number of hurricanes that form, more happen after September 10th than before. So bottom line, again, (laughs) there's lots of hurricane season still, even on average, to go. This has not been an average season, of course. Even with two recent storms, we're still behind the average dates, which would be six named storms as of tomorrow and three of them being hurricanes. We'll soon be at five and two, I think, so it's not that far off the charts crazy or anything. It's just been kind of weird how things have developed. So let's take a break, and I'll be back with my conversation with news anchors Kelly Craig and Tony Segreto in just a moment. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. Hi, guys. So great to see you. Thanks for coming on. Nice to be seen. (laughs) Nice to still be seen and blinking our eyes and smiling with our teeth shining. Yeah, exactly. Can can you believe it's been 30 years since Andrew? I mean, I guess that just 
proves we're getting old. But Tony, I've been asking a version of this, you know, over and over this year. So let me ask you, how do you reflect on the 30 years? Does it seem like yesterday or does it feel like a previous life? Um, it's, it seems like a previous life in some circumstances, but you know, it's interesting. I was telling my wife, Roseanne, that 2022 for me has been like this banner year in terms of resurrection, because it's also the 50th anniversary of the 1972 undefeated team for the Miami Dolphins. Exactly. And, and as a result, I have been asked to do multiple interviews. Uh, I'm basically the last man standing who covered that team. Mm -hmm. So I've been asked to do a number of interviews. And then Andrew pops up and it's it's 30 years and for me i kind of tell stories like this when people ask me about andrew or people ask me about the 782 team right when you think about those moments that moment it's real again and it's current but until you resurrect that it's in the past but when people still to this day, and I know they do this with you, Brian, and I know they do it with you, Kelly, when they still see you and they go, I have not met you before, but you got me through Andrew, or, you know, thank you for saving my life. Those moments are not only chilling, do they give you goose leather, but they give you this sense of, oh my goodness, it really wasn't that long ago. I mean, 30 years ago, you know, when we were 12 years old, 30 years was, oh my <laughs> gosh, that's like an eternity. How is that ever going to happen? But when you're our age, and I don't mean to even assume that we're old, uh, <laughs> really? it's not that far. So that's, that's kind of how I, how I look at it. But the last week or two since the, uh, since the anniversary date, uh, Andrew's been very real for me in terms of seems like yesterday. Yeah. Kelly? Same thing. <clears throat> Visceral reaction still have the visceral reaction that you, as Tony described, you truly relive it throughout your entire body. And I also look back on it and say, that was a completely different time in the sense that there was no internet, really. Few of us were using cell phones. All we could communicate with was radio, newspapers, television. So the importance of what we were doing was magnified that many of our young people, including our own children, may not even understand. Mm -hmm. It was an entirely different time. And yet, as you all say, when people bring it up and they say to you, I can't believe that night. Can you believe it? Boom. It all comes back in an instant. Yeah, yeah. No, I, that's exactly what I say, is that some things I can picture like they were yesterday. Uh, on the other hand, you know, when you think about life in 1992, let alone 1972, uh, you know, that was a whole different way of living. I mean, what a oh. simpler life that, that it was that, you know, once you left home, uh, you, you know, you couldn't use a phone generally, even though I did have one of those big brick things that... that yeah, you needed luggage for that. You needed yes. you need actual luggage. That that was a carry. That wasn't a carry on. You had sent that through through the airplane there. Right. Yeah, I left it under the seat of my car and was only for emergencies. And uh, you know, it wasn't a thing you talked on, really. So you communicated at home. You had a beeper and an answering machine, and and when you were home, you were disconnected from work. So uh, that was so fundamentally different, I think, than than uh, time today. But. But I just uh, spent a lot of time in South Florida, all over 
South Dade, talking to people in Homestead, doing an hour uh, special that we ran on Fox Weather that was really ended up terrific. We had a fantastic uh, producer. And uh, it's amazing how, for how many people, in fact, for all the people that lived down there at the time, they divide their lives between before Andrew and after Andrew. And, and you know, that event is a seminal event in their life. You know, I, I have to share, and I want to put this in the context for people um, who may remember us, and then so maybe some who don't even know who we are until right now. Um, I think what made this work for the three of us is that I don't think people realize um, how independent we all were, but how close we all were and how connected we all were. Uh, you know, in my world, in your world, Brian, I mean, we were outliers, right? The weather guy and the sports guy, you know, they were sort of like, okay, they're here, but we, you know, we're going to go with Kelly and news right now. But you and I had a, had a, an amazing connection. Uh, you loved sports. I loved weather. Um, we, you traveled with me on sporting events. You, we you taught me. Notre Dame. Yes. I, that was one of the great moments. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, when my son went to Notre Dame, I, I told him, I said, you need to go to the Studebaker Museum, because that's where Brian and I went. And then you came to Florida State because you, that's where you went and you taught at Florida State. So we were very, very connected in, in that way. And Kelly, you and I just hit it off because we were co-anchors together and mm -hmm. we appreciated each other's humor. And uh, I'm not sure anybody, anybody at that television station could have quipped with us. We, we kind of put quipping at a brand new standard. So mm -hmm. when, when you when you put those three people together who truly like each other and care about each other and more importantly have this deep respect for each other and what they do uh, i think that that helped us get together uh, but do you agree kelly i totally and dovetailing off of what you said tony um you know most of us who watch the news and I do consider myself an observer of news. We see maybe four minutes of Brian every night, saw maybe four minutes, mm -hmm. if that. And I know you had to fight for those four minutes sometimes <laughs> if the show was running over. But to see Brian in action, to uh, watch this man dispense information that I couldn't possibly imagine that you knew was really so impressive and i found myself just staring at you like where are you pulling this a font of information from it was like the storm savant sitting next to me you know and it was so impressive and tony i know you'll agree with me and brian as well the reason that we got into this business from the very start if you want to look at it from an existential point of view is we want to help people that's at the very core of what we do. We want to help people by letting them know what's going on. We have this information. It's a one-on-one, -on -one, very intimate communication. And to have been part of that operation was one of the greatest privileges of my life because I sat next to Tony Segreto and I sat next to the legend, Brian Norcross. And um, people often ask me, you know, how did you all get through it? And I said, it was because we channeled what people wanted to know, what they needed to know, and we had an expert with us. And again, it was, um, again, one of the most uh, fulfilling experiences of my entire life. 
Yeah, people have said to me all along, you know, how did you how did you sit there all that time? How did you do the 23 hours? I said, where was I going to go? Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, there was a hurricane going on. You know? <laughs> and, right. You it's know, a lie, man. Uh, oh, that wasn't even around that. Yeah. Wendy's. <laughs> It was nothing. I mean, it was no. It was there's nothing else to do, and that, that ended up not being my my longest night. Actually, Wilma ended up being longer. It was Wilma yeah. stood behind that desk for thirty and a half hours. It was uh, <laughs> well, you know, you, you 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 bring up a good point, Brian. My goodness, it was like um, Hugo, like three years before. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, Andrew, and boy, wasn't that a harbinger of things to come? It was mm -hmm. hurricane after hurricane yeah, after sure hurricane. Well, yeah. you talk about you talk about shock. I mean, for me, you have to remember. I, I was I was doing four news now. I was doing a, a little walk and talk newscast, but I was still the sports guy. Right. And and Sharon Scott, the news director, calls me in. Um, our news anchor decided he didn't want to stay. Mm -hmm. If you recall that, right? He wanted so to get home to his family. Yeah. He wanted to go home to his family, so she calls me in her office and sits me down and said we're we're kind of in trouble would you mind sitting with brian and kelly mm -hmm. because you know there's nobody else around and we we need we need another anchor and can you do it and i i'm sitting there thinking heck i don't know if i can do it but yes i'm here i'm doing it you know and you pull out what happens is you pull out your your history in florida and you pull out everything that you've listened to you know uh, when you do what we do if you're not a good listener then you're not going to be very good at what you do. Uh, not only do you have to be curious to be good, but you need to mm -hmm. be able to listen. And I think that, you know, I listened to Brian a lot. I listened to, to you know, we had, at the time, Brian, you have to admit, you had a great team of meteorologists. And they weren't just the rip and tear guys uh, or women. They, they were, if I'm not mistaken, everybody on your team at that time were all atmospheric scientists where they could, you know, do their own meteorology, because that's well, what I remember you well, remember, doing. remember, Bob Weaver was was there, and Bob, you know, the thing that was so great Bob about was Bob, brilliant. Bob, yeah, was, Bob brilliant. was a brilliant broadcaster. Bob knew, and he, and he just knew the audience so well. You yeah, know, so, uh, you know, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't the big meteorologist and all that stuff. But but the thing is, he'd been doing it for so long. He had so much experience with so much. And he was such a wonderful man to yeah. to, to be around and and uh, and so supportive. And then if you remember, the um, the weekend guy was Brian Allen. Yeah. Uh, and Brian was instrumental in supporting what, you know, what happened because you know, I was sitting at the anchor desk. This wasn't, I wasn't, you know, in the weather office, you know, like you would do when you do, uh, you know, some normal kind of coverage. So right. Brian Allen really was the support system there. So, yeah, it was, uh, I mean, it just in general, at that time in broadcasting, we had real pros in all directions. You know, yeah. the and people at the, how at the assignment desk in the newsroom and, you know, the news yeah. management and so forth, they were really professional. Think about how it changed. That's what people ask me, like, what do you remember most? And other than the devastation, and we, and it was, we could go on and on about the, everybody has individual stories about what we saw in terms of, you know, no street signs, all of these other things. But when you think about how it impacted people's lives in a profound way, and not just from losing a house, but from moving. And when you think about the footprint of South Florida, 
how it changed. Pembroke Pines would not be what Pembroke Pines is. The, how far west and went west would not be. Well, everything a, west of I-75 is uh, really yeah. a product of Hurricane Andrew in it, the it, southwest it was, county. It was remarkable how it changed people's lives, how it changed what we did, how it, how it created FEMA. Uh, you know, basically, if it wasn't for Andrew, I'm not sure FEMA would exist. I'm sure it would have after Wilma and Irene and, and storms like that. But goodness me, when you think about that time and the chaos, there was no governing body in which to say we need help. And until the National Guard came in building Tent City, I mean, it was it was a free for all and yeah. the app absolute free-for-all it was it was unbelievable yeah, to it, was see what it was anarchy it was it was uh, really horrible yeah so, so but we'll talk more about that actually i talked to bob sheets and kate hale my my podcast last week was with bob sheets and kate hale which was which was great to uh, yeah. to talk to them after all this time so kelly you came to miami in 1990 was it from tampa tampa yeah mm -hmm. that was so that was the year i started it at wtvj uh, as well. And Miami is such a, you know, different and unique city now. I mean, there is no place like Miami. Did it feel at that time, though, that you were going for a Miami experience? Or was it just a bigger TV market? And I imagine a, a good opportunity? Well, I had been to Miami several times. And, it, you know, unlike some other uh, markets that were a little bit more provincial, mm -hmm. not necessarily Tampa, because that, of course, obviously is a huge major city uh, as well. But it was the global uh, aspect of, of Miami that really attracted me. It was exciting. It was young. It was just coming up to, to the whole South Beach experience was just blooming. Uh, a lot of young people. It was vibrant. Mm -hmm. It was banking. It was Brickell Avenue. It was so exciting and never a dull moment. I always said, and this was long before I got here, if you can cover news in Miami, boy, you can cover it anywhere. And so, yes, it was a, it was a privilege and a challenge to come here, but also to live here as well. Because uh, you talk about a melting pot, some may say, well, it's not a melting pot because not everybody's melting. Maybe more like a stew, okay? Everybody has their little flavors in the pot and, yeah. and we enjoy them. It, it was such a, a wonderful experience and as Tony suggested, once everything hit the fan after Andrew, you know, I was in the field for weeks and weeks and weeks talking to the people and you really saw them coming together to help each other. There, there were no, um, yes, as Tony suggested and, and you as well, Brian, in some cases it was anarchy, but as the weeks went on, you really saw literally the neighbors coming together to help neighbors people who hadn't even spoken to each other before. Right. It really did kind of change the whole vibe and complexion uh, of Miami. And um, yeah, the differences melted away. They really did. Yeah, they, yeah. they really did. Mm -hmm. and, and I remember, I remember something very specific you said at this point, you said to the people, we are going to rebuild and it's going to be even better than before. And don't you feel guilty about that? Don't feel mm -hmm. guilty about that because of what you went through and the, the, the dollars that would have to be spent, the, the tens of millions that would have to be spent. And, um, and I never forgot that because today, when I go back through Homestead and some of the coastal areas, I worked in Palmetto Bay, they have beautiful homes there. And I'll talk to the people and they'll say, you should have seen this after Andrew. I didn't have a roof. The whole thing blew off as a whole. 
so so yeah so things have really changed and um i don't think miami will ever be the same certainly nobody took storms for granted after that did they yeah, no. For sure, for sure. So in Tampa or Miami or uh, other places that you've been, had you ever been through a hurricane before, Andrew? I had never been through a hurricane. And I thought to myself, okay, this is going to be scary. But you know what? There are thousands of people like me at home who have never been through a hurricane either. And some of them are going to be alone, as I would have been had I not been there. I wasn't married. I would have been there probably holding the door as well. So what you try to do is say, okay, I got this. But the, the thing that I could contribute is to be the conduit for people like me and others who have questions, who have never been through a storm and to ask questions and to, if I was scared, I said, this is scary, you know, because you want to connect with the viewers and hopefully by being vulnerable and honest, we were able to ask the questions of you and others who were calling in and say, what are you feeling now? How are you doing? Are you hanging in there? What's going on? And they, they were very, very open and honest, mm -hmm. you know, with, with what they were feeling. And um, I think it, it, you, Brian, handled it beautifully. Let's take a quick pause. We'll be back on the Fox Weather Tracking the Tropics podcast in just a moment. Tony, you grew up in South Florida, so you must have been around uh, when there used to be hurricanes, right? And uh, Donna, yeah. and Donna and Cleo and, and Betsy? I was through Donna and Cleo. In fact, uh, just before Donna hit, I remember my dad, uh, God rest his soul, brought me home uh, little baby chickens. And, and you know, being Italian and, and my entire family, pretty much they all were farmers in Jersey. And, and I lived on a farm when I would visit New Jersey. Uh, it was just kind of natural to have a garden and have chickens and ducks and whatever. So he brought these chickens home and we had a carport. And uh, that's where the chickens lived, in the carport, in a little cage. Well, when Donna hit, I, I basically would go out and try and check on them because and but the wind was swirling and that was my first experience to anything like that and i we really weren't aware of we everybody lost power and we were watching bob weaver until we lost power and we didn't even know that there was an eye of a, of a hurricane so we were one of those you know that uh stupid ones that went out in the eye of the hurricane. oh it's all over look at this wow isn't this amazing it's so calm it's so nice and then all of a sudden boom you know, you get, you get nailed with the back end and you learn pretty quickly about a hurricane. My chicken survived. Everybody else survived, but it was yeah, my first. because it was a fringe effect. Uh, I mean, Donna kind of was a huge, monstrous storm, unlike yeah. Andrew, right? It went storm. up, it kind of went up uh, to the west. But was we know at the time when you're right. young, you know. Uh, well, and we didn't have satellite pictures. <laughs> there were right. no satellite pictures no, of Donna, just, right? Yeah, you didn't know. So, so um, I lived through a bunch of that. And I think if... <clears throat> Again, you know, you, you're taking this guy from, you know, one venue of his life and you're putting him in another one, right? So I, I'm in there with an ex 
the experience of Kelly and your experience as a meteorologist. My experience was living in South Florida. Uh, so I, I was able to identify people with people from where they were, whether it was Hialeah or, or Homestead or Palmetto Bay. Um, I had been at all those places. I had been around a long time. And, and uh, I remember just listening to people ask questions and, and we would, and Kelly and I would both kind of latch on to some of the, what we learned from you during that period of time. Uh, you know, I wonder today, I, I wonder today how many uh, young people walking around with the name of Andrea and Andrew <laughs> are, are, I mean, I wonder how many there, because I, rem I remember actually one woman who was, who was pregnant at the time, she called us and she, we had told her to get into the bathtub with, with, the, with the mattress and, and her roof was coming off and she was pregnant. And, and I remember so, soon after that, after Andrew, we found out from that woman, that family, that, that the baby was born, it was a boy and they named it Andrew. Mm -hmm. So uh, after that, I always sort of wondered yeah, there were, yeah. there were, I've met a few over the years and uh, lots of pictures of dogs and, and cats and. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but I, I think, I think that being able to grow up in South Florida, if anything, gave me an opportunity to feel like, okay, uh, I belong with this, with this trifecta here. And, uh, and I was just honored to be able to, you know, add what I could or, or at least latch on real quickly. Um, and, and I thought it was quite interesting that if you recall, uh, once Tent City was up, we're, what, three weeks after, after the storm and everybody's still reeling, uh, there was this decision made by our, our county commissioners and mayors, you know, whether or not the University of Miami was supposed to play a football game. Mm -hmm. And, and I remember there was this big discussion about whether to play this game because everything was so impacted. And they had decided that everybody needed some sort of mental break. And even though no one could watch it on TV, they could still listen to the game on the radio. And how they decided for Miami, they decided Miami could play. And I remember walking around. I had around. forgotten that. Yeah, that's, that's right. That, that was the idea, though, was that people were so just so tired that yeah, it, it was just, uh, it would be a good thing and i still get i mean i get chills just just talking about this i remember walking around tenth city and hearing the echo of sonny hirsch mm -hmm. and god rest his soul mm -hmm. doing um football doing that um football game yeah. and I, it was just amazing to me um how that one moment which was four hours long was able to at least put a Band-Aid and a little bit of salve on on the all the sores and all of the trauma and terror that that people were going through. Listen, they were all living in a tent. It was a commune. It was, you know, it was Woodstock under control. Well, not just there. I mean, it is, nothing was normal. <laughs> that was the thing is nothing was normal for anybody. I mean, the, the poor people in South Dade, for sure. But no, for nobody, really, things were normal at that point. You know, and, and I hadn't thought about this in a long time, but that's as, as opposed to the Dolphins the day before Andrew had the football game, right? They, yeah. they played the football game that Sunday. And when the storm was forecast, this uh, significant hurricane was forecast to hit South Florida, but they they still played the game. Um, I don't remember all the 
dynamics about that, but I know I do remember that there was yeah. discussion. And, yeah. and, and again, uh, I, I bring angst. it. I bring it up because I thought it was. I thought it was a real important moment in the recovery of what people were doing right. because it gave them that. It gave them that mental break. That the not only were they going through the displacement, but they were going through this whole process. Okay, now what? Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm right now. I'm safe. I, I've got a place where I can lay my head, whether it's a cot or a bed. But I have no house and I have no belongings. Where do I go from here? How do I do? How do I personally, with my family of four, rebuild? So if you could give that 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 one little family just four hours where they can just zone out and kind of refresh and then maybe go with a different perspective. I, and I thought it was a brilliant move and, and one that took a lot of courage uh, for our our leaders to, to, to do and and for the University of Miami to agree to. So I I I, I agree. I, I think it was a, I remember that. I remember thinking, OK, this is a good move. People yeah. people need this kind of thing. So I remember you. If I recall, you got started in broadcasting when I did in 1968. Yep. And then you ended up being working for this sports powerhouse. So, I mean, WTVJ really was the sports station for decades. How did all that uh, evolve where you became, you know, the sports voice in South Florida? I, you know, I, uh, I thank God for Bernie Rosen. Mm -hmm, yeah. <laughs> That's all I can say. And I get, I get choked up. Uh, I was 17 and a half years old when I started in 1968. And I was, uh, you know, I was a gopher, you know, Tony, go for this, Tony, go for that, you know, whatever it was. And, uh, and then evolved, you know, with just amazing mentors, Bernie Rosen, uh, Mike Pearl, Ed Gorin. I mean, you're talking about icons in the business. Mike Pearl went on to basically run the Olympics for, uh, for NBC and ABC at the time. Uh, Ed Gorin, uh, who's still with us, uh, ultimately was the president of Fox Sports until recently. Uh, and, and to be mentored by, by, by them and to be nurtured by them and to be taught how to be a professional in, in that world of sports um, was remarkable. And then to, to understand the power of that department. Um, there, were two, there were two departments in the country, two local uh, departments, sports departments in the country that were looked upon as network quality. And that was us and WRC in, in New York and Washington, mm -hmm. where I wound up doing for 29 years, the George Michael sports machine. Right. George Michael, who came, was a disc jockey in Philadelphia and went to Washington and became this great sports guy because he didn't just tell you the scores. I mean, George Michael was a, was a real personality, really. I mean, you know, he, he was, he was off the screen. It was something else. I remember I remember sitting in my office and having uh, one of the secretaries come in. This was after a Super Bowl. And she said, uh, we have a call for you from George Michael. And that's when Wham! was really big. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, what in the world is George Michael calling me for? Mm -hmm. And it was George Michael from WRC. Right. And, you know, he had a very gruff and, and very... Uh, you know, no nonsense type of personality. And he says, Hey, I saw you during the Super Bowl. Would you be interested in filling in for me? They're forcing me to take days off. And uh, that one call turned out into a 29 year career with George Michael flying up to Washington 
sometimes seven, eight, nine times a year to do the precursor to what ESPN was. So to be able to do that, and all because of what Bernie Rosen set up at WTVJ, that's what this was about. You know, I was part of a of a team and that was remarkable and to be uh, to be taught how to be a professional and to love your craft and to how to do it uh, the right way and and how not to be a rip and read guy to be able to spend time you know, for me to say to this day that you know don shulo was one of my dearest friends i mean when don died i was like like a dad died you know i would go to his when he was retired i would go to his house and have breakfast with him you know, to be able to be around people like like that, and I tell people all the time because of that department, I spent months on end with Muhammad Ali. Mm-hmm. I would go to the Fistry Gym every yeah, day. Yeah, think about the people that came through Miami. Film uh, his workouts. At that time. Yeah. You know, I, I would be with him every day, and to be friend and friends and close with Angelo Dundee who would send me postcards from every fight, from Zaire, from, you know, all these different championship fights, uh, to be able to be with these people. You know, my first interview that Bernie Rosen sent me on was with Jesse Owens. <laughs> wow. Uh, when you get to be able to do these things, and during Andrew, in fact, in the studio, I went and wound up interviewing Jesse Jackson. He had come in. Yeah, I remember. I remember him coming and sitting on the uh, the anchor desk. As a matter I mean, of fact. Yeah. that sports that sports platform, uh, and and I have to tell you, other than Kelly, okay, and this is this is the God's honest truth. And I'm, you talk about pulling a curtain back. We talk about how it changed people's lives. Andrew changed my life in a profound way because I went right from sports to sitting in the chair, mm-hmm. and and I remember my first day of walking into that newsroom, all these people were, when I was a sports guy, all these people were my friends. And now here's the sports dude walking into the newsroom. Now he's going to try and be a news anchor. Like, what the F is going on here? Like, how, how can they, pardon my French, but how can they do this to us? How can this guy be, you know, sitting in a chair like that? There's no way. And Kelly was one of the very few that, in you know, if that just like, you're going to be doing it. You know, you'll be fine. You'll be great. I'm not making this up. It's the truth. And I remember my very first day in news, Johnny Versace was shot. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm at my house in the morning. I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm so screwed. They're all, they're all mad at me now. I go, I've got to come up with something. I mean, Bernie Rosen would always talk about finding the nugget, finding something that no one else has. How do you how do you find that something? We would never. He told us never to watch other television stations and not read the newspaper to come up with our own stories. Right? Mm-hmm. It was all about vetting out, tilling the soil, getting getting those stories. I'm batting my head against the wall, going, "What am I going to do?" And my phone rings at at, ha- at the house, and it's a friend of mine who's a chef who I hadn't heard from in two or three years. I didn't even know where he was anymore. I said, well, I want to come see you. What restaurant are you, are you cooking at? He goes, that's why I'm calling. I'm not at a restaurant. I'm a private chef. I go, well, how can I help you? He goes, I'm a private chef for Gianni Versace. I was the first one to his body. Would you like an exclusive interview? Oh, my goodness. I, wow. I said, are you kidding me right now? He goes, no. He said, meet me in an alleyway. So I had to meet him in an alleyway on South Beach. And he gave me this exclusive interview, and that was my first day in news. 
Wow. Wow. I didn't I, know that story. I didn't know did that you story either? No, I did not know that story. So, Tony, put yourself in, back in the, the 70s and 80s when we're, uh, you know, there really weren't hurricanes happening in South Florida, right? There was that scare with David in 1979. Uh, but basically, we cruised through a couple of decades and into the early 90s with no hurricanes. Uh, you know, as I recall, when I because I came in '83, there was really no angst when hurricane season started. It just, it just, you know, everybody knew there could be a hurricane, right? But, but people just didn't think about it, right? Do I remember that? No, they not only did they not think about it, they didn't take it seriously at all. They just thought it would be a little wind and rain because, you know, we were still, we were still in that cycle, which we still are today. You know, four o'clock in the afternoon, you look west and there come the dark clouds. And by five o'clock, it's storming and wind is blowing and you may lose power and for an hour and then it's up. So that's what that's what they kind of thought a hurricane was. Uh, you know, it's interesting because I, I did a interview about Andrew a couple of weeks ago and I said, all those people who lived through Andrew. Who didn't think much of the of the of the hurricane because of just the point you bring up Brian to this day and it happens to me too when you hear that we're under a warning or a watch or that something's even going could be close there is a pit in your stomach that never even existed before and and I think that that in that impacts people to this day who who live through Andrew because you're right to your point we had at least 10 years of, of like nothing. And even David that, that everybody was looking at skirted us to the point where it was, there was nothing to it. It, it was gusty. I was there the, the, yeah, the was, uh, evening that David went by and it was kind of windy right at the beach, but that was it. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't much. And then, so now Andrew, and I remember, I remember going in your office and you had all your maps out and you had your rulers out and you were doing all your things and you look up and you go, what's up? And I go, so what's the deal? You got to like fill me in on what's the deal. He goes, and you looked at me and you goes, you went, this could really be bad. And um, I'm thinking, oh, okay, well, that's kind of odd. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, I called my wife and I said, listen, I don't know what the deal is, but you better make sure everything is battened down. Brian's not feeling too good about this and it's heading toward Broward. And uh, and she did. And then kind of everything. Everything imploded. continued. Yeah, yeah uh, well, well, I want to talk about the, the sequence because I I don't even know a lot about, <laughs> about the sequence. But go back a little before, before Andrew. So Kelly... What was going on at WTVJ in the early 90s? So I got hired to be chief mm -hmm. meteorologist in 1990, and you came. Was was that just coincidence, or was there an expansion going on? Do you remember, you know, what happened? You know, every, every for those who are, aren't in the television business, uh, every general manager, every news director uh, make their mark by, by lining up a team. It's not unlike uh, a sports team, you know, where, where they have their players, where they believe this is the team and I'm going to sort of make a chess game out of this and I'm going to have this one here and that one here and how can we best represent our audience in this way? And so, yeah, I was brought in in 1990. You were brought in in 1990. Tony, of course, was there. He was the, the statue the monument of sports um and so uh and yeah and and honestly miami at that time um tended to be a little bit of a revolving door and um 
Uh, yeah, so I was brought in in 1990. And again, I had come from Tampa. And yes, that was uh, an amazing market, too. It was big. It was um, it was vibrant, but but nothing like the Miami experience. And uh, as you said, Brian Allen, he was relatively new. Uh, a lot of people that were being brought in. And um, what's fascinating is I didn't get to know you, Brian, uh, until Andrew, really. It was like all of a sudden, yeah, no, because we didn't work together. Uh, I, no. no, I don't think I don't remember us working together on because I did the evenings. What what were you doing at the right? Time? Well, they 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 tend to bring um, people in uh, when you are from an, another market, and and people don't like change. Audience members don't like change necessarily. None of us do. So what they try to do is just sort of try to integrate you in little nuggets and so when i was first brought in it was the mornings then they put me on the noon and then maybe it was the five mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. i i believe by the time andrew hit so much for sleep patterns doing, right Kelly? what's that so much for sleep patterns when you first started. Right. Yeah, sleep what's that i was She's young it didn't matter <laughs> um uh, but yeah but then i was that i was put on the six and eleven and um well, you're absolutely right. We didn't take hurricane threats seriously. And in fact, I was in another town when it looked like this thing was going to be uh, something. And as I was flying over Miami, just about to land at MIA, I took a look down and I just thought, how is this whole landscape going to change if this Andrew comes ashore? And then, then I started to listen to the people around me and they started to talk about, we're going to have a hurricane party. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And I just thought, you need to really start paying attention. Yeah. And um, yeah, and so I got back really quickly. Remember, there weren't many cell phones. So I, I just had to, I, I was out of town and I just thought, I got to get on a plane immediately. And um, you know, the, the- So when was this you came back? And what do you remember about the, that week before, Andrew? This must've been late in the week because I, we didn't really think much about it until, you know, quite late the, the week before it hit Sunday, it hit Sunday night, Monday morning. You know, the first time I really started waving the flag in a big way was Friday afternoon and on the late news. Right. So so I flew in Saturday morning and we, we were already into 24-7 coverage at that point. And I was watching, watching you, watching Bob Weaver, watching Brian Allen. And I just thought, wow, this is serious. And we're telling people, you know, how to prepare and, and what to do to your houses. And I thought, this is serious. <laughs> this is something that I need to really get my head around and, and be prepared for. Um, and so, yeah. And if you'll recall, Tony, back me up on this. We did 24-7 coverage, not only during Andrew, but two weeks after. We had yeah. no regular programming in. We were, because the recovery was huge. People needed that information. Um, I remember when, that vividly, Kelly. You're so yeah. right. Yeah. Because I remember, well, I was, yes, because I think we were on uh, noon to midnight, like somebody else was on in the morning and then, then, but they ran and ran some recorded something over, overnight uh, after the fact. But Tony, that week before, Andrew, I mean, we didn't think anything special about it, right? No, we really didn't. I, I, I remember, you know, you, you brought it up that Friday night is when you really started like kind of going, hey, pay attention, you know, they're knocking on the mm -hmm. on the door here. And I thought I think, by the way, and, and just to sort of a moment to give 
to give this podcast some immediacy here, it is what, 11.23 on the 2nd of September, breaking news, our first Atlantic hurricane just mm -hmm. happened, right? Danielle was announced, right? So way up in the North Atlantic, I mean, because yeah, it's remarkable that we're already September first, and it's our first Atlantic hurricane. Right. Like, how does that happen? Yeah. But Ryan, uh, to answer your question, no, that that whole week was like, okay, we see it out there, and one of the reasons I think is because it was so small. It wasn't a big, enormous hurricane, right? And we could see satellite for the fir for the first time, because again, let's go back to we weren't, you know, we didn't have a hurricane for, for a decade. And now uh, meteorology changed and, and all of our tech changed. So you could actually see a satellite photo. Well, the uh, forecast though, were for it to go north and stay away. And, yeah, and even and that and Friday when, when I, you know, said, okay, we need to really start talking about this. That was because it was Friday. It was, I was worried that something might change over the weekend and people would be, you know, wherever they were going to be you know, out on the boat or whatever over the weekend. So if it had been a Tuesday, I probably wouldn't have said that because the forecast was still, in fact, the forecast Saturday morning when it became a hurricane was still to central Florida. It well, plus remember it was downgraded too. Right. It well, was, that was that was Thursday. It was it was not even a circulation. Yeah. Yeah. We started to throw up our arms and went, "What's the big deal? It's a depression. It's another rainstorm." And then, yeah. boom! It just sort of, you know, again, well, it blew up and and it kept coming south all through Saturday. Every every advisory brought it farther and farther south. You know, uh, so my story that week before was, if you remember, uh, Al Jerome ran the NBC stations in, I think, when we were hired in 1990. And uh, Dick Lobo was the general manager who was so supportive of, of me, uh, was a friend of Al Jerome's and whatnot. And Al had been let go in New York, and John Rohrbeck took over. And the word was, you know, you got to make a change in Miami. You're not making enough progress against uh, Ann Bishop and WPLG. And Sharon Scott, the wonderful my friend and news director, came to me in June and said, you know, they're making me change, make a change. So, um, yeah, so, you were, I remember that. Yeah. So I was, you know, I was told to go find a job. So I had found a job. Uh, and on that, what my schedule was going to be is I was going to go to my place in North Carolina. I, have a little, I had a little uh, house in the mountains there on that Thursday. And then on Sunday, I was going to go to New York to finalize the job with CBS in New York. And, and, uh, and Sharon came to me and said uh, on Wednesday, said, what, are you going to go tomorrow? Because I kept, told her about everything. She knew about, you know, the job. She knew about my travel. I said, I said no, I'm going to just stick around and see, let's see what happens. You know, you know I'll, I'll just delay it a day. Maybe I'll go on Friday and, and we'll see. And uh, so my, my appointment to finalize the New York thing was 10 a.m. Monday, August 24th, 1992, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? And my replacement was due to fly in that day, um, the, same, the same day. And I happen to know that because I happen to see the airline ticket sitting on on the, the desk outside Sharon's office. <laughs> just uh, happened to see it. I just just happened, all my just, business. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so, so that was my week before. Um, I remember that, Brian. I didn't know what your job was, but mm -hmm. I remember being told, um, and, and this wasn't just rumor. I remember being told by someone in Sharon's office that, mm -hmm. that you know, you were, you were told that, someone else was coming in and um 
I mean, they gave me seven months notice. You know, it was it was. I mean, they were you know as good about it as they could, but the word came from New York. It wasn't it wasn't anybody in Miami's. This no. Is, and, I, and I hello, I've been around broadcasting for a long time, so I, not that I felt bad about it, and I was actually kind of looking forward to the adventure uh, in New York. I hadn't spent a lot of time in New York City uh, at the time, but I'd spent enough to to know that you know it would be interesting and fun. You know, you're uh, you're telling that story. You're you're like the uh, Aaron Judge. You know, <laughs> they, they, Aaron Judge just bet on himself, and he's about to break all kinds of records without yeah. a contract. Yeah, you know, yeah, so yeah. Uh, here you are uh, betting on yourself. You stick around and, and, and look at what happened. I mean, that's that's pretty remarkable. I didn't know. I know that I knew that you were being told that you were going to be replaced. But the, the subsequent moments and and uh, and how you handled all of that was, you know, as as classy and as dignified as you possibly could. I mean, uh, it's, it, it's right. the, the timing. And I mean, the whole thing is just such a, you know, my little slice of an unbelievable sequence of days and, and, and story. And let's take a quick break. I'll be back with Tony Segreto and Kelly Craig in just a moment. On that Saturday, uh, I, w I went in at 11 a.m., went on the air at noon, standing in front of a green screen with a phone number for people to call in. And um, as I recall, uh, Jerry Helfman and Jose Diaz-Balart were the weekend team, mm -hmm. and, and they were there. And, and I'm sure of that because on YouTube, that 11 o'clock news intro uh, is there. But when did when did you guys get called in, Kelly? When when did they tell you, you know, that okay, you gotta come in and and do something special for this coverage? Well, again, uh, I called from North Carolina, and I'm that must have been because I was there because my godson had just been born, and I was visiting him. And when uh, I was kind of watching on was the Weather Channel around then? Maybe yeah, I was yeah, just Weather watching. Channel was there, yeah. We must have been watching Weather Channel, and I just said, I, I cannot be here. I've got to go. And um, I want to say maybe I flew in Saturday morning. Yeah. Um, and then somebody yeah, must it, have called you and said, okay, Sunday, the next day, you oh, know, yeah. you, you got you to gotta come in and, and on some or other shift, I guess. Gathered all my clothes. <laughs> I, I gathered clothes for two weeks. Uh, I put water in my bathtub. Mm -hmm. Claire Claire water sat Claire there Claire for Claire three weeks, <laughs> and then I got I got all my clothes and everything I was going to need, and uh, you know I had all the glamorous anchor clothes. But as you'll recall, right after the hurricane, they sent me right down to the field, so all the glamour clothes went away. I remember Sharon Scott, the news director, at one point came out and said, "Take off all your earrings, <laughs> take off your necklaces, your rings. We." this is not a glamour gig anymore and it's just going to be uh the camera and you guys and a very intimate experience and and let's get through this and let's let our viewers know that we are all in this together and here we go this is why you got into the business and she was absolutely right yeah. absolutely right tony do you remember when when you got the word to come in that Sunday and, you know, that... Well, I was already there. I mean, there? because the Dolphins played. 
Mm-hmm. I was getting prepared for Sunday night uh, sports final. And so the game was over. It was one o'clock game. The game was over, what, three, four o'clock. I was, I was in the office by 4.30. And, you know, all the, you know, all the scattering. And we're talking amongst ourselves back in the sports department. And, and you'll recall that we always positioned the sports department far away from the newsroom because we were, we were pretty loud and gregarious, screaming at TVs for all different games and stuff. So we didn't want to bother the newsroom. But um, when I walked in, you could you could feel that there was a whole difference here. You could feel something going on. And the talk amongst us in the sports department was, are we even going to have sports final now because of what's going on with the storm? So I remember walking into Sharon Scott and, and she said, hey, we don't know what's going to happen. But you know what? Can you do me a favor? Just sort of stick around. I said, okay. I had no no idea, and that's when soon after that, our our anchor she called me and she said, "You're not going to believe this, but so and so decided to leave because he he was scared and wanted to be home with his family. Can you sit with Brian?" And this was Sunday evening, probably I don't know. My guess is seven thirty, eight o'clock at night, and I said, "Sure, absolutely." And I remember calling Roseanne and saying, uh, I'm not coming home. Make sure you, that's when I told her, I said, you know, Brian was sort of waving the flag. And um, that's, that's how that all happened. Cause I, I was already, I was already there and you were scurrying about and I remember Kelly coming in and, you know, it was sort of like, okay, this is serious, but it really wasn't um Serious hadn't hit critical yet. Yeah, yeah. You know? But Sunday evening, we still didn't really know. Yeah. We, we knew it was coming in our general direction, but we didn't really understand the scope of it uh, early, early Sunday evening. Yeah, we, weren't sure. death, um, we, we weren't in death calm. We weren't in death calm mode yet. No, it, but, it, but through the evening, Sunday evening is when we, we knew. Then, then that Sunday, which, of course, went all the way into Monday, um, I was in the, the, you know, I was just in the studio and, and people rotated in, but I, but I, so I didn't really know what was going on in the news department because Sharon and the news team and the, or the engineers would come to the anchor desk and we would have our little meetings at the anchor desk to kind of talk about what was going on with the storm, what the strategy should be and, you know, what we needed uh, to be doing. But do you know what, what was going on in the news department at that time? Where, was everybody gone or? No, I just no, don't no, no. Remember. I'm no, not, no I know not everybody was gone, but but people were in the field. I'm to some. They degree, were out I'm in sure. the field. Yeah. They they were they were out in the field talking about uh, what to do to prepare. For instance, you know the lumber, you know right. at the uh, at the hardware stores. You know we had to cover all of that. Um, we would go to shelters talking about what shelters were going to be opening up. This was a time of preparation where people were kind of like, really, do we have to prepare? Should we put our shutters up? Shouldn't well, we? Were you, were you in the field that day, Kelly? Did you go out? Were you in the field before? I, you, or were you no, in the I was in the time? field completely uh, after, after the storm the was mm-hmm. down there. Yeah. Um, but all of our reporters were dispatched. And Carrie Sanders, who, of course, was, you know, one of the uh, <laughs> major standouts of uh, Hurricane uh, Andrew coverage. I worked with him in Tampa prior to coming here, and he covered Hugo in Charleston. Uh, so he had, you know, a, a leg up on a lot of the other reporters in the sense that he was right out there uh, in the thick of it. So he he too was out there. But there was so much to be done. And um, again, people had not before 
Andrew really taken this seriously. So there was a lot of preparation to do. And um, I think we started doing cut-ins. You know how we would do cut-ins maybe for five minutes, for 10 minutes. I don't think we went into the total 24-7 coverage till very late on Sunday night. But we did take the opportunity to cut into programming and say, let's go to so-and-so in the field who's showing us this and showing us that. And, yeah, and again, I, I keep hearkening back, sorry to interrupt you, Brian, is that, you know, we didn't have a phone we could look at to say what's open, what's not. People relied on us because right now it wasn't about newspapers. Yes, some radio stations um, had coverage and very, very admirable, but mostly they were relying on television to see what to do. Um, there was no other media at that time. Yeah, that was the way, that's what you did, right? That was what you always did, is you turned on the television and just let it stay sure. on, and that's how you kept up with, with what well, we was were doing. We were relying on the people to help us, too, because we're, you know, we needed them to be our eyes and ears, and that's why we kept saying we're all in this together. You, know, you tell us, we can tell everybody else. I think that was a that was a big part of it, because we didn't know what was open, what wasn't. The lines for gas stations were, you know, unbelievable no more Grocery water stores on the right yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. It, was, it was the first time we were seeing this sort of <gasps> feel from the community right because they were starting to just start hoarding things and and uh, trying to find water was like next to impossible and this was still uh and this was only when it was you know it was the small storm but but i think we alerted everybody to the point where they took it seriously enough to say we better have provisions that we need, whether it's just something as rudimentary as gas and water um, that we can that we can have over a period of time if we lose power. I think another thing is that it was a different time in that if people went on television and said, OK, folks, here's what you need to do, that people at home were inclined to believe that. <laughs> Where yeah. now they're not inclined to believe that they're inclined to go check, you know, five other sources on on wherever they're going to check them on. So it, it was a different time. And, and by Sunday, as the storm was getting stronger, it was heading toward the Bahamas, it was forecast to hit, uh, you know, Dade County-ish at that time, you know, through the day Sunday. So I think that was part of it. So how did you guys end up being sort of the last two anchors left? Because through the, <laughs> through the, through the day, I... We you know, knocked everybody off. Yeah. We just, just knocked them off. I mean, because I, I sat at that anchor desk from 9 a.m. Sunday morning. Um, and then, you know, and, and there's, there's on YouTube, uh, Bob Mayer uh, was there. And, and a variety of, of uh, anchor people were there for parts of the day. Uh, but then it all ended up just the three of us by, by Sunday evening. And on Sunday evening, if you recall, the streets were empty. People were in their place, right? It wasn't, there wasn't this, any kind of franticness. People kind of thought they were prepared. But how did, how did you, I don't know how you guys ended up being well, the only two left at, at that. Somebody made, the, maybe Sharon made the decision. You know, I, mm -hmm. I, I, I just sat at the desk and people came and went. No. Well, the other anchors um, were out in the field that day. If you'll recall, Tony, a lot of them were out in the field doing stories, talking about the preparation. So when it got to the point where everybody needs to get in and batten down, they were sent home with the exception of uh, Carrie Sanders and a couple of others uh, who, who were actually out in it. Um, but 
but the reporters, if, if you'll remember, were calling in via phone to tell mm -hmm. us what was going on in their neighborhood. How, how are their neighbors mm -hmm. preparing? What is the mood? What is the vibe? So all of our reporters were still very much in touch via telephone. But to answer your question, uh, the reason why the two of us were left was because it was all hands on deck and the anchors were out in the field throughout the day. And then ultimately they were sent to their homes to batten down with the idea that they would still be in touch via telephone. That's right. I for that I had forgotten um, about and, that. Yeah, and for me, it was it was the Tom left, mm -hmm. and it was like eight o'clock, and I was there for sports final. And we still weren't sure if we were going to still run sports final, so that's when Sharon said to me, "Get in the chair now right. and just hang in there." Yeah. So that that's kind of my. That's when I showed up and you looked at me and like, I remember you looking at me going, what? And I'm going, well, me, but, but I, even back then, I was a believer in broadcasters, you know, people that could broadcast anything, right? Because they, they could take in information and dispense it and sort it and tell stories. And that's what broadcasting is, right? Yeah. So people that are, are, and people that are good at sports very often are good at telling stories. In fact, I always are good at telling stories. So, well, I'll, well, you know, Brian, I, I didn't, I have to, I have to tell you this. And again, this is from my heart for me. And again, you have to remember, unlike Kelly, you know, my history was experience. It wasn't news. It was experience in, in living life. And uh, because of our relationship, Brian, because I, I, I and maybe I'm wrong, but I, I really felt a deep respect for you. I knew that. But I also felt you having a deep respect for me and what I did. Exactly. And, and how I did it. And, and I didn't feel uncomfortable and Kelly and I were just, we were, I mean, before before this podcast is over, she's going to do her impression of Leave it to Beaver because we <laughs> But Kelly and I were just, we just hit it off, man. We were just, we were just, you know, we loved what we did. We were cut-ups. We were, you know, we we were, we wanted to have fun. And so I, I, I you made me feel extremely welcome in here you are in the midst of, of your world. And, and Kelly and I were just like, all right, here we go. And so I felt pretty darn comfortable uh, coming in to sit there. And little did we know afterwards, again, we had no clue how this was going to unfold. No, we None. Didn't. We were just, you know, we were, to, to Kelly's point, you know, we were, we were getting people in place, but we were kind of making it up as we were going along because this was uncharted well, territory. We were totally making, making it up because yeah. because we weren't really sure what the storm was going to do. I mean, it really was, okay, yeah. as the storm did this, we did that. And the storm looked like it was going to do this, we did. We were being more reactionary than than anything else. We, we, we were reacting off of what the storm was doing rather than being proactive because there was no way to be proactive in that case because you it was so unpredictable well especially the the sunday evening and i you know it's all kind of a, the sunday is kind of a blur to me but one of the things i do remember tony is we we're giving out shelter addresses and we got to the ones in hialeah which are so confusing because you know the streets have two different sets of numbers and uh miami-dade county numbers and hialeah numbers and and i was t tired by that point <laughs> And, and then the way you convert is you subtract 54 from the Miami-Dade County numbers to get the Hialeah numbers. And I just couldn't do that in my head. And I said, I don't know who numbered those streets in Hialeah, but I hope they're dead. Yeah. <laughs> and 
I don't remember that. At you don't all. remember that? Do. No. That's it's, that's on YouTube somewhere. That, <laughs> I remember that. I remember that. Uh, but because they had shelter addresses that had combination Hialeah numbers and and Miami Dade yeah. <laughs> numbers, and I'm trying to remember which side of the Palmetto Expressway is that on because there, you know nobody had you know Google Maps or anything to find anything, and so. <laughs> How would you get there? <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I remember us talking about that, Brian, specifically <laughs> yeah. because, you know, the main one of the main streets is still not the main street in Hialeah, yeah. the 103rd in Miami. But then it's once you cross the 49th, line, yes. Hialeah, 49th Street. Yes. Like, how did that happen? Yeah. How did, well, how that happened. I, I know. See, I, I did all those Miami history things. I can tell you how it happened. It happened because Hialeah was this distant burg. You know, back in the day, it was not connected to Miami. It was not connected to Miami-Dade County. So all those Miami-Dade County-type streets um, and Miami, they were actually the streets that are Miami-Dade County grid or were the original Miami grid from the early 20s. So anyway, there was a separate place. It's like Homestead. It was a separate place. It has its own set of numbers down there. And, and you go to Homestead, and you, every sign has multiple numbers on it. You know, and sometimes with a name... Besides, just to make it uh, extra <laughs> confusing. Do you, recall, do you guys recall this? Um, is sort of again. This is sort of just. I feel like the 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 brain soil is being tilled here. I remember this mail this mail carrier, and back back then, uh, you know, mail carriers were your friends because they they were they were your constant mail carrier. Like if they would be there, if they if they were employed by the mail by mail the mail service for ten years. That was their route for ten years. Yeah, you got so to know them for sure. Yeah, yeah, you gave them Christmas cards. Mm -hmm. You gave them things for Thanksgiving. You you know they they were part of your family. And, to and by the way, the last thing a, a mail carrier wanted at Christmas time was another card to carry. <laughs> yeah. Well, you. oh yeah. Well, no, they didn't mind the card if there was a little cash in it. Now. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Want, that's true. Well, now that's you're talking. Now true. you're talking. They didn't want a card with a crushed cookie in it, yeah. or <laughs> a good bottle of scotch, something mm -hmm. like that. But I remember this mail carrier walking through Homestead with tears in his eyes, because if you recall, all the street signs were down. You couldn't tell neighborhood from neighborhood, and he, he was wandering around, going, "Where's, where's my neighborhood?" Mm -hmm. And he couldn't find it. And and I remember that like it was yesterday and your heart to this i mean that this moment me even telling you my heart breaks mm -hmm. because they they couldn't find anything and for for someone who who walked those streets daily for years couldn't recognize anything. yeah yeah well no people told me that they walked down to the end of their block and they were lost because it was like they walked into a different world and nobody you know nobody recognized anything and i was just as I was saying, I was down in Homestead recently, going back over down the streets that I had walked away from from Harris Field Park there, you know, to where I met people, a young mother and her baby in, in the debris and this hellacious uh, situation. Hey, Brian here. I'll be back with Tony Segreto and Kelly Craig after this quick break.
So w w did, did you guys alternate at the desk on Sunday? Is that how it worked? Do you remember? Because I remember, Tony, that you and I were together at midnight because we had said midnight is when everybody needs to be in place because that's when the first band might arrive. It was just a wild guess. And sure enough, it arrived at midnight. And, and uh, I remember that. And I remember... Kelly, you and I were sitting there at three o'clock when we started talking about moving off the set, and then and then I was still there at three o'clock. You were still there at three o'clock. Mm -hmm. We started yeah, talking. Well, three of us moved into that area. Yeah, but you Northern. went first because you went first because when I walked over there, you were already in there. Yeah, I was in there. Yeah. So yeah. So and, and Kelly. So I remember Kelly and I talking at three o'clock, but I don't remember in between. So in between there. At about 2 a.m., I think, is when the idea of get the mattress off the bed came to me. And I got, I got that from a 1926 book written by a guy named L.F. Reardon. And uh, he wrote about spending the 1926 hurricane with his family in a house in Coral Gables. And at one point, they get a mattress and use it for protection. And that's where my the mattress idea is. I'm racking my brain saying this is going to be you know, a worst-case thing for people in their homes. What else can we do? And I had this idea of the mattress came to me. That was two o'clock ish, but I don't remember. I don't but remember you remember it was a it was a woman who called and said my door just blew through. Well, that was later, right? That was after. Was it? That was while the storm was happening, right? This is before. Okay, what? The most brilliant thing we did. Pardon my interruption. Mm -hmm. The most brilliant thing we did was having hooked up, and that was you, Brian, was with Y one hundred. Right. Um, yeah, that worked. That worked. I mean, that, that, that saved yeah, the day. That, that saved the day for, for so many people, including, including us. And, and do you know that that line, which I had uh, talked to a bunch of radio stations and finally negotiated that with the general manager at Y100, you know, a couple months before in, in the summer. And that line was tested on the Monday before Andrew. Exactly yeah. one week before the hurricane. So when the engineers came to me and said, oh, remember that line that we're putting into Y100's transmitter? Uh, we just, I just tested it with the uh, Y100 engineer. It's all good now. And I mean, when you think about the confluence week, thing you know. that happened, yeah, yeah. That one week happened. Yeah. So now everybody else goes off. The, everybody's tower goes down. Mm -hmm. So everybody's off the air but us. Right? In English, on, yes. We're on radio. Yeah. And then... The radar goes down at the National Hurricane Center, so our radar is now the radar of record. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about all of those things that happened, and we're the last three standing. Yeah. So I, I mean, I say, what? Okay, you know, what are the lessons of Hurricane Andrew? And I say the number one lesson is that the worst does happen. You know, usually storms weaken, turn away. It's not as bad as they say it could have been at at a certain location. Usually. Uh, which is the way the system works, because you're always overworn, always. Uh, but the number two and close behind is preparation works, because we wouldn't be here talking today if, if you know, uh, Sharon and Jim Ogle, who was the assistant news director, and, and Dick Lobo, who was the general manager, hadn't bought into the plan of really preparing the TV station and, and uh, you know, having the idea of of being the hurricane station actually be part of the plan, right? And nobody else decided uh, to do that. So they, you know, they bought into that idea when I went to, to the to WTVJ and, and here we are 30 years later. It's mm -hmm. kind of amazing. Yeah. Yes. That radio line, because people always say, well, wait a minute, mm -hmm. t 
TV got knocked off the air, what did you do? Especially young people. Well, transistor radios, guys. Do you know what a transistor radio is? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a little box that you tour. And we don't even Ryan, use that word anymore. I, 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 you know, I say that to even you know people in their thirties, and they go, "What?" You know, transistor what? <laughs> you know. I mean, portable radio, they'll, you know, they'll get a portable radio idea, but a transistor radio is just, that's not yeah, no. a term uh, <laughs> that we, so the rest of that story is, so I, I, I make this deal with David Ross, who was the, the general manager at Y100, and I go up there to the studio, and the Y100 right. studio then was at the corner of Sunrise and Federal Highway in Fort Lauderdale you know, where Federal Highway bends and goes north and you can go, or you go by the Gateway Theater there, you go across the bridge to Fort Lauderdale Beach. And and I, I go, okay, it's all, we're all good. And I walk out of the uh, studio there and I look over, I go, oh, wait a minute, the Intracoastal's right there. If we have a hurricane, this place is getting evacuated, this studio. So I go back and I say, you know, we really ought to put the line to the Y100 transmitter and then another line to the studio. And normally those two lines would just be connected together so that the studio could get our audio. Well, guess what? That Sunday, the day before Andrew hit, the Y100 engineer goes to the transmitter, takes the wire from, from the studio, our studio in Miami, hooks it up to the transmitter directly because they evacuated the Y100 studio. So it was just, mm -hmm. you know, it was kind of one thing after the other of, um, you know, think about what could happen and plan for that. And it all happened. That was, you know, it was this incredible confluence of uh, mm. events. So, of course, we all remember the calls that we took live on the air um, as houses were coming apart. Do you remember how that happened? Because I don't, I mean, in my mind, I just don't remember giving out a number or did people just find the TV station somehow? Do you, do you have any recollection? I think yeah. we gave out the numbers. Did we? we did. Because remember, we, you know, the information that we had was so scant. Because yeah. as you said, it, you know, the, the information, we, we sent our reporters home at that point, a few that we, that we had out there, but not many. We had our uh, reporters calling in. But yeah, we solicited, hey, let us know what's going on. Or if you have a question, that's, that's really what we were soliciting people to um, call in so, so that they could be helped one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. And that's when they started calling in. And, then, and at that point, the VCRs, you know, we were saying, if you can take a video <laughs> that we could get later, that would be great too. And, and of course we had some people who did just that. But yeah, we were giving out that we were actively telling uh, folks to tune into Y100 when you lose power, not if, but when. Mm -hmm. And also to to call us if you have a question for Brian Norcross, give us a call. Yeah. Yeah. So I, and I, I didn't remember what we were in the middle of the night there. I didn't, uh, you know, I mean, like I said, a, a lot of it uh, is kind of kind of a blur. But that that ended up being a seminal moment um, yeah. that when people were calling in, and they were calling in, off calling in from from West Kendall. So. No, you know, not Homestead, because Homestead, these systems generally weren't working by that time. This was 5 o'clock in the morning, so, you know, the Homestead had already been mauled uh, in the first wave at that point. And then, mm -hmm. because all those calls that we we got were, as I tracked them down later, were from Kendall, or from yeah. West Kendall, um, you know, west of the Palmetto, uh, you know, even as far north as 
Southwest 8th Street, I think Southwest 11th Street, one of the calls, but they were all, they were getting hit really hard and holding the door, trying to hold the door, you know, against the storm. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, Brian. I, I remember Jim Ogle walking in with the phone numbers to call. Uh, uh, okay. All right. Well, good. So that's what, that's what I'm saying. I, you know, these are the numbers to call. And we weren't even prepared for that. You know, we, we, we kept calling this place the bunker. Mm-hmm. And I think we should sort of give context to this, that basically what you have to remember where WTVJ was, it was the first movie theater in Miami. So we were sitting basically in the balcony of that movie theater. And the mezzanine, yeah. Yeah, and that area was all concrete. Mm-hmm. And you had scoped that out earlier, Brian, and said, if we need to be safe, this is this is gonna be our safe room. So we're sitting basically on, you know, on concrete bleachers, for lack of a better way of putting it. And we had one camera with one light, and we had a couple microphones, one handheld, and then we had lavaliers that we were passing around to each other in many cases, right? Uh, so, and and you know, we could hear what the what the caller was, and we had a little monitor, like a little black and white monitor that was on the floor. Do you recall that, Kelly? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I yes. was the only way I could see the radar was on the monitor. So, um, John right. Lugering, who was the floor director, and Bruce Carter was the the production manager at the time, they they yeah. stayed there with us the whole time and yeah. set that up in that three to three thirty half hour and got all that uh, ready to go. And because this was at night, I remember us hearing things hit the building. Mm-hmm. I remember us hearing things hit the building. And when everything cleared, uh, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, I remember walking out the back door and we noticed that we had three big satellite dishes and a couple of smaller ones. And the smaller ones were sort of mangled and like, you know, like Superman had come and decided to twist them up. And uh, uh, are you laughing at Kelly? And I was saying, well, you know, and uh, other than that, nothing else seemed as if it was impacted. I mean, like what was hitting the building? And we were looking at like, okay, so what's the big deal? And then we started getting pictures in from Homestead. Yeah. Yeah. Although, remember, uh, Xavier Suarez, the mayor of Miami at the time, while we were still in the bunker, and and that's a loose term because the wall in front of us that divided the studio from from where we were sitting was was flimsy. <laughs> it was all that was 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 soundproofing <laughs> is all that was. Right. But when we were still there, he came and sat there. Um, and to, to, you know, assure us and everybody that Miami survived, Miami is, is fine. And, and I said, don't think because we haven't heard from South Dade that the news is good because we hadn't heard from Cutler Ridge and, you know, anywhere in, in South Dade by that time, even in those overnight hours. Even the Today Show went on the air at 7 a.m. and said, well, it looks like Miami, you know, has dodged, dodged the, the bullet. bullet. Dodged the remember? Bullet. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I do re- now, you're re- now that you bring it up, I do remember that. Yeah, so it wasn't mm-hmm. until, uh, and, and remember that the Carrie Sanders, want to go back to Carrie Sanders. So Carrie and his uh, photographer Steve were in this car heading south, and I remember Sharon asked me, you know, where can, where can they be because the weather was getting really bad. And I said, the only thing I know is a, is a metro rail. You know, metro rail in South Miami is that's not going anywhere. And they hid the car behind the metro rail stanchion. 
as uh, as I recall, and rode it mm-hmm. out inside that car as the car was rocking. And of course, Carrie did that iconic um, video film. Was it film or video? I guess it kind of looks it like. A- it looks like film as you look at it. Uh, you know, no, it was just, it was video, video, but yeah, he was video. he was giving it this, and the microphone yeah, it, was here. It was yeah. it was quite dramatic. It was, and it was scary. It was because it was ripping uh, through there for sure. So mm-hmm. so when when did you guys go home? <laughs> I'm still not home. <laughs> wait, wait, uh, I, I truly I truly don't remember. I remember, you know, to Kelly's point about not being glamour anymore, I remember them coming out and saying, take your ties off, you know, roll your sleeves up. You guys are working now. And I remember somewhere around 7 a.m., 8 a.m., um, Sharon had called. I even forget who the, who the male and females were coming in to give us a break but to not go home check on our homes, but don't go home. So, uh, you know, again, no cell phones around. So fortunately, everybody's still, and to this day, uh, we have one landline in our home. Everything else does on the cell phone because of Andrew. And, and Yeah, although so a lot I, of places you can't get that anymore. Where, where I'm in Miami Beach, you can't get that service yeah. anymore. Really, really. Mm-hmm. No, a yeah. lot of places they don't maintain the copper wires that it takes yeah. to, to do that. So we, I called home and said to my wife, I said, you know, I'm not coming home. I don't know when I'll be home. And, um, and, and I remember staying and they said, try to get a couple hours sleep. So I went to my office and slept in my chair for an hour. And then probably by 9, 30, 10 o'clock, I was back on the air. Kelly, I, I don't recall if, I don't, if you remember what, did you, I think we both went off at the same time, right? Yes. Yeah, like about I, I, and, 8 a.m. ish, it seems to me. Yeah, it was 7 in the morning right and that was was for a couple hours right kelly yeah i mean i i i honestly don't remember how long it took before i went home and that was okay that was all right i slept on the floor of my office for maybe four or five days and then um i couldn't get to my home because there was no power which meant i i would have to walk up 17 flights to get to my home Uh, but one of the producers opened her home to me and i was able to sleep in a bed maybe the fourth or fifth day sure and i do remember they brought in a washer dryer at the station so that people who were there forever and ever could actually do their laundry there and and that's how we lived it was a great bonding experience well i I had forgotten about that because i i i remember eight o'clock was when i uh got up and went into the newsroom and then spent a couple hours in the newsroom taking phone calls. I remember my voice was kind of like this by that time. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and took a couple hours. The first call I took was from a speech therapist who said, who said, you can't talk now. You absolutely cannot talk anymore. And don't drink anything warm and only cold and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, uh, and then about 10 a.m. I slipped, went downstairs to an office and and nap downstairs, and then about two o'clock in the afternoon, I went back on until midnight. So it was at midnight that I think of that I think we were there. I, um, I, Tony, I think I'm sure you were there till midnight. Anyway, that's when I drove home to Coconut Grove. But I had to I had a four wheel drive in my hurricane preparation mode, four wheel drive truck. So I drove up over the curbs and over the lawns and whatnot. I was only I only lived four miles away to get to my house in, in uh, Coconut Grove that night. 
I remember, I remember because of that night, I remember how prepared we were afterwards. And Kelly, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I'm not sure if it was Wilma or what it was, but I was on the air and I remember being told, all right, come take a rest, go to your office. And by the time I got to my office, they had already put a cot up for me. So a cot was there with sheets on it and a, and a pillow. And I went, oh, thank you, God. Uh, you know, because it was sort of, it was also them not telling me, but telling me, you're going to be here a while. <laughs> yeah, exactly. same. Yeah. yeah, that was Rita. We had uh, Wilma, Rita, well, Katrina, and Katrina, and Katrina, 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 Rita, and then Wilma in 2005. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah. So, Tony, you talked about how Andrew kind of blew up your life. Kelly, how, how did it change your life? I was going through a divorce, <laughs> and my ex-husband decided, hey, <laughs> my soon-to-be ex-husband decided, hey, I want to go into the weather department. And I hadn't seen him in weeks. He goes, I want to go into the weather department and watch Brian work so he decides to show up i didn't know whether to to go in the bunker to go into the weather it was crazy um so yeah so in my personal life there was a hurricane going on and by the way he happened to be named andrew um, <laughs> so um i was going through a personal upheaval uh to begin with and then that happened which um you know you you tend to put things into perspective, all jokes aside, you tend to put things into perspective. And I was so fortunate that everyone who I knew that went through this, I had a lot of friends down south and they were, they were calling me um, during, uh, when we were on the air, I got back and there was message after message saying, we're losing it, I, I don't know what to do. Um, so on a very personal note, when I did get some time off, it was going down there and helping them uh, put their lives back together. And um, that was probably a big life lesson to me in the sense that when you are going through a, a personal problem and you think everything revolves around you, when something is going on this big and affecting so many people, how you get out of your head and how you 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 rectify what's going on with you and, and really put it in perspective is to start helping others, to start serve serving those who you know, those who you don't know, you the larger community. And so on a very personal level, it was a big learning experience for me and um, a very valuable one a very valuable one and to this day when younger people come to us and that's one of the benefits about being a little bit older is that the younger people do come to you and say boy i'm going through this i always say how can you turn this around and give to others right now because productivity is sometimes the best antidote to whatever you personally are going through so to answer your question and i hope i didn't get too deep here Really, that's one of the major lessons that I learned and um, how fortunate I felt to have been in that position to have helped people not only uh, leading up to the storm and during it and to have had the privilege of sitting next to the two of you, but to have had that privilege of helping others for weeks and months and years after having gained that experience to help them to help them not only on television, but to help them physically and in person and spiritually thereafter. Yeah, I can, well, I can said. well, so well said, Kelly, you're so right. I mean, that is just. So, so Tony, you, so you became a news anchor 
uh, although you still kept your foot in in sports, I know for for a good long time. It was uh, my version of the hokey pokey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I know, but you were a sports guy, so it fit. I mean, it would have been weird for you to to drop sports. Yeah. Uh, I think. But well, how else did did uh, did that experience? I, I'm going to go. I mean, you know, I, I one of the stories that I tell all the time that to this day impacts me. You know, there's that story that you always hear about the, you know, all these starfish on the on, on the shore, and and this little boy is throwing the starfish back, and 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 this older gentleman says, "What are you going to do? You're going to you're going to throw all the starfish back? Like, what kind of impact do you have?" And he goes, "Well, I helped that one, and I helped this one. I'm helping this one." And I recall going down to Homestead. We were all going down there, and there was a there was an elderly gentleman with a Nissan and a trunk open and a little canopy over the trunk and kind of extending out. And he had a Bunsen burner with one pot on it and he was stirring it and he had cups. And I went up to him and I said, what are you doing? He goes, I live in Tampa. I saw what happened and I felt compelled to come down here. And if all I can do is hand out a cup of soup to some people, and if that gives them some nourishment, then it's made my day. Wow. And that has stuck with me to, to Kelly's point, uh, helping people doing something because the world doesn't revolve around us. Our world is, Tony Segreto's world is this big, right? It, but and there's a much bigger world out there, and it, if we can go and impact someone's life, um, <clears throat> there is nothing quite like it. And you don't, you, you need to go into it not doing it in a selfish way, but in a helpful way and in a humble way. Mm -hmm. I think that's what, other than being my life per, professionally totally turned upside down, um, personally that's what I, uh, that's what I. Got, got from this because it impacted me in such a profound way spiritually. Um, there are like three or four things that have done that in my life where it just changes you and how you you look at things, how you look at people and, and understand that what they're going through right now, if they could just have somebody smile, you know, put an arm around them, uh, hand them a cup of soup. Uh, it's for that moment, it changes them. Right. It's their moment of, like, wow, somebody cares. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and you know, in, in South Dade, the doctors that came and and uh, set up tents without being asked to that made so much difference in Florida City. I mean, there are endless stories of people that oh. selflessly came after that uh, event and and served because <laughs> the government was uh, incapable at that right. time of of reacting. So true. And correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but because of that, when you hear now, Brian, doctors going and, and people going to help, whether it's the war in Ukraine or whether it's, you know, when, when, when Irene happened, uh, and those people living in the Superdome, uh, you can not only feel what they felt, but your empathy for them and your your respect and admiration for them for what they're doing out of the, just the, the, the humble goodness, purity of their heart with no agenda. 
you know, the, the, the real mark of someone who is a giver is someone who gives to people who know they're never going to get anything back. You know, and, and I think that that's such a that's such a beautiful thing. And what a beautiful lesson Andrew taught the three of us about that, because we help people that we would never recognize anymore um, that come up to us and say, you help me. And I go, really? And Kelly, I, mean, I know what happens to you and Brian, it happens to you. And even the people that called us uh, to be able to say that if there's a little part of you that helped them. Um, my gosh, what, what a blessing. What a blessing. I know that. I know that when people go through something, particularly men, uh, when they went through the storm, they didn't cry. They didn't have the emotion. They were too busy battening down the hatches, getting through it. And when I was down in Homestead and I saw all of a sudden the donations that poured in throughout the country, throughout the world, that was the first time when people let their guard down and started to feel the yeah. beauty of what can happen after a disaster. And that's yep. when I saw the emotion of these mm -hmm. poor people that had kept up such a brave front for days and weeks. And then all of a sudden, the water, the food, the cots, the beds, how can we help? It was a feeling that we are enveloped by people who wanna help us. And mm -hmm. in fact, there were so many people trying to get in that I remember the, the feds finally said, hey, listen, our, our uh, people are trying to get home to their houses to check out what happened right now. People are flooding the streets with bringing things in. We need to have a, a more organized approach to this because people were so um, adamant about helping people. They, it came from their hearts. You're absolutely yeah. right, Tony. What did we learn? What did we learn? We learned this, that there are two things that, take, that can take a community as fractured as South Florida was, there are two things that can bring a community together, disasters and championship sports teams. Those are the two things that bring communities together, yeah. right? I remember my father going to a Dolphins game right after we had one of, one of our disturbances, one of our riots. And they were, there was this whole other conversation about whether to play that game. It was the game where, in the mud where, where the Dolphins went to the Super Bowl. They were playing the Jets in the, I think it was the Jets in, in, in the mud at the Orange Bowl. Remember my father going, here we are, we just went through this riot, yet we, I'm sitting next to a black man, a Hispanic man, and we're all cheering for the same thing, and we're, we're high-fiving each other and all of this, where 24 hours earlier, there was these, you know, it was shooting in the streets. So we, we've come out of this by going, okay, disasters and these two things bring com uh, communities together and nothing quite like Andrew brought us together like that. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that was truly the, the great, well, there are many legacies of Andrew, but that was one of the, the great ones that, that happened uh, in, uh, in South Florida at the time. So guys, we've gone uh, on and on much longer than I normally do. In fact, I think this is probably a record, but it was absolutely worth it. We have three it. talkers here for yeah, sure. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. So thanks, um, thanks so much for taking the time and being part of this and being, uh, being so great and everything we've done together for so many years. Well, I love you guys and I am so blessed, we are so blessed that 30 years after the storm. It's like we're taking up like there's been no time at all. And um, privileged, privileged to be part of this, Brian. Thank you so much for inviting me.
and and Brian to Kelly, I am honored. I'm absolutely honored, and thank you for thinking of us like you have, and for including us in all these things that you do. Uh, honestly, you were you know you you were the stalwart here. We were we were just sort of hanging. I, I don't want to speak to Kelly, but I, I, I was hanging. I was we were hanging on. You know, we were just on the rope as the boat was going, going, you know, keep, keep hold on as tight as you can, and whatever we did to help you, uh, we're we're blessed to be able to do that, and we're we're grateful that you defer uh, to to both of us. I, I tell you what, I I love you guys. Like, you know, I've worked with a lot of people before, but but to be in that moment with the two of you was extraordinary and uh, something that I will always cherish. Well, me too. And and it, I couldn't have done, you know, what I did without you guys. So anyway, it's so wonderful to uh, to see you again. And, and I, I hope we can get together in person one of these days soon. I'll be right back. And welcome back. Well, wasn't that amazing? The fact that Kelly, Tony, and I went through that event together, that all our backup systems were in place and worked, well, it was due to a combination of luck and hard work by a lot of people at WTVJ. As you heard, our boss, Sharon Scott, was orchestrating a lot of it from behind the scenes. Plus, there were all the other professionals who worked at the TV station. They were involved at that time. Hopefully, we'll never have to find out what a modern version of Andrew will be like. But, of course, if we hang around long enough, the odds are we will. Next week on the podcast, I'll talk to one of the great hurricane and climate scientists of this era. Professor Kerry Emanuel from MIT in Cambridge, Massachusetts will be on. Besides being an author on some 200 scientific papers, he wrote one of the most interesting books on the history and the science of hurricanes called Divine Wind. We'll talk hurricanes and policy and how thinking has evolved as research has sharpened and been refined into the effects of a warming world and a changing climate. That's next week right here. Be sure you subscribe to our Tracking the Tropics podcast so you can get an alert when a new podcast is posted. A reminder, download the Fox Weather app. First, you can get your local forecast without a bunch of annoying ads to scroll past. And you can watch the live stream of Fox Weather on your phone or your iPad by just clicking in the upper right. And it's all free. And you can watch Fox Weather at foxweather.com or on the Roku channel on your TV or YouTube TV, Amazon Fire, and lots of other streaming platforms. So I'll see you there on the Fox Weather stream when the tropics are active. And follow me on Twitter at B Norcross and on Facebook and Instagram, just Google Brian Norcross Weather. Until next time, I am Brian Norcross. Be well and stay informed. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.